0: God's Word, and in that respect, I did want to start by reading some scriptures from Ephesians 1, but since we're concentrating on 1 Peter, we won't, but if you want to be uplifted, really uplifted, read the first chapter of Ephesians. On the way this morning, my wife gave me a helpful hint. During the presentation of communion last week, I kept going like this, of which I was not conscious. And I'm very grateful that after five months, the shingles have generally faded away, but they're still concentrated right here on this side of my mouth. And I find myself constantly wiping that corner of my mouth. And it didn't help Friday when I was talking to a lady that comes to Pat's Friday Prayer meeting who had shingles five years ago to the point where she was actually screaming in pain. And she said, I still have trouble with the corner of my mouth. (laughs) Let's start by reading the seven verses in this chapter. Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands that even if some do not obey the word they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear in the NIV it puts it better here it says respectful behavior so let's read that again when they observe your chaste conduct conduct and respectful behavior do not let your adornment be merely outward arranging the hair wearing gold or putting on fine apparel rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good, and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Although I've read this passage every year, since we go through a Bible every year, usually a different version, somehow, in anticipation of today, the scripture, rather than seeming the beautiful thing that it is, seemed a little stark. And I realized it was because of dark experiences in the schoolhouse in the liberation period. And it started with the 1973 year, the class of 1973 through 1974, which was Jim's class. And one day I said, what I considered the nicest thing I ever said in the classroom. I said... I hope you girls grow up to be wonderful wives, and excellent mothers. One girl went home and told her mother what I said, and the mother hastened to the school to the office to denounce me for being against women's liberation. Now this was 1973, and if you recall, it was just surfacing but it was surfacing with real strength. Suddenly it was upon us and it grew and it it captivated the attention of so many women and girls and uh, many became very emotional about it. And Mm -hmm. I recall too that uh, during that time that was not the only time a principal spoke to me about the matter. And I remember, too, this teacher at the high school who was very humorous and uh, seeing how excited the girls were about the women's liberation and how angry they would get at anyone who reflected upon it. And he loved to tease them. And he said sanctimoniously, God's will, God's will. And these high school girls wanted to get so mad, but they couldn't because it was so funny. And they had to the laugh, <laughs> unwillingly. <laughs> Some years ago, when uh, CBF had a men's breakfast at the Horseshoe Lake Country Club or a golf course, I was sitting next to Jim Tracy and I remarked to him about something that had moved me greatly through the years. I said, one of the most wonderful testimonies I've ever heard is from men who were saved because their wives were saved and were submissive and had this sweet spirit. And he nodded and he said, that's my case too. And he went on to tell about his wife Sarah. And in that period, about 15 years ago, there were at least two women at CBF that got saved by reading God's word. One was Sally Haugen, who actually works here on the staff in the school. And the other was Sarah Tracy. And Jim had noticed this love that was blooming in her for the Lord Jesus. And one day he got really mad. And he said to Sarah, Do you love this Jesus guy more than you love me? And Sarah sweetly responded, I don't think you want to know the answer. (laughs) And as a result of her and the way she lived, using this as an example and fulfilling these things in her life, in his presence, he was converted. And he's not the only one that has been converted in that way. There are a number of stories that are very refreshing and lovely about women who have affected their husbands by this submissiveness and this spirit and gentleness that's spoken of here. One day at one of these breakfasts, Gerald Llewellyn got up and he said something that was unforgettable. He said, my wife always puts me first. And he said, she insisted that our children honor me even if I didn't deserve it. And the remarkable thing about that is the spirit of this woman and how she affected her husband and other people. One time after we had left Vaughan, after 12 years there, I was talking to one of the ones that was a real veteran there, and I said, what women affect you as being submissive? And the first woman he mentioned was Pat Llewellyn. And he's not the only one that has spoken of her as being submissive in this way because she affects people so much by this. And the remarkable thing is that Colleen's sister, Pat, was a child bride. She was married in high school before she finished. And the thing about this is that here is a woman that was ready for marriage even though she was a young girl. And here's another greetham theory for you. We should not marry because we're a certain age. We should marry because we're ready, mature enough to be in a marriage situation. And unfortunately, there are some people who are so selfish and focused on themselves so extensively that they're never ready to be married actually had a nap like that and I've known other people too that were married for years but it was a poor marriage because they were never ready for marriage and they were never willing to give up themselves both on the part of husband and wife going to the other extreme we had a lady that uh, we knew through our connections in the Tacoma Church and she was very active and unusual and she'd do these strange things and uh, she even wrote a book about herself And uh, she would decide that she wanted to go to Aberdeen to witness. So she'd go to the bus station and she'd approach a stranger and she'd say to the stranger, The Lord told me that you were going to pay my way to Aberdeen. And surprisingly, a lot of people would. (laughs) But her husband was not saved. And because she claimed to be saved, she'd do things like take a front and they'd parade up and down the street in front of the house of her husband and pray for him. And as you can imagine, rather than winning him, it eventually ended in divorce. And one of the things he told a friend was, she was so holy, she'd lock herself in the bathroom and pray. And you can imagine this in a household of two people and the effect upon a man when she did things like that. In 1985, we had a Vaughan home flock, uh, study group at home, and uh, enjoyed it very much. And we had about 20 people, and it was, it was a good year in many ways. And we had one lady from Vaughan who was a real sweetheart, but she had a notorious reputation because she reacted badly against these scriptures that we're looking at, being submissive to men, even though she was very loving toward her husband, who actually had been unfaithful to her, and she took him back and just cherished him. But for some reason, this scripture really troubled her. And one evening during a break, she and I were down in the living room while the others were up in the kitchen, and uh, we were chatting and i had a special bond with her because she was born in victoria kansas and my mother was born in garden city kansas and both our families were german descendants of those that Catherine the great had invited to russia called german russians and her family was so much into this that she actually had two books that were written by an aunt that she loaned to me and while we were talking that evening Somehow, this scripture or this concept came up. And she said, I can't stand it! (laughs) Well, they drifted away from Vaughan, and sometime later they came back. And often she was by herself, and I surmised that was because her husband did not like the pastor. And eventually she left. And though I was very fond of her I was glad she left. And the reason I was glad was that there were a lot of young ladies in the church. And I didn't want these young ladies to grow up hearing her say, I can't stand that scripture. And especially in that period of so much rebellion during the women's liberation movement, it was the greatest period of rebellion we've ever had in a sense. And It's a welcome thing to see that it has faded out and other things have gotten our attention like hugging trees and carbon (laughs) emission and vegans and things like that. And uh, sometimes you get tired of some of these things. And in our community, the thing that really made me ill was to hear people constantly talk about building relationships And it got to a point where even missionaries going to the field, instead of talking about converting the heathen, we're talking about building relationships. And as you may have realized, that has faded away. And it's been replaced by partnering. To be modern, to be in tune with the times in the Christian community, you've got to use the word being partners, partnership. And that also will pass, believe me. One thing that affected me in this area was years ago when a book came out, and it was a sensation. And the title of the book was Total Woman by Maribel Morgan. And it was so influential that women even had study groups to learn how to be submissive. And uh, I remember one woman I know who went and learned how to be submissive but was not submissive <laughs> and I read it myself and I enjoyed it and uh, there's some things that were objectionable it was very controversial especially since it was counter to many of the ideas of the time but uh, it was something I never forgot and the influence of it and one thing about it was that it, it showed the power of a woman over a man she, if you read it or remember it, told about her husband, Charlie, who was a lawyer for a professional football team and uh, how she won him by being submissive and very attentive. And it was a very moving in that respect and uh, very enjoyable to read and unforgettable. And in connection with the power over. <coughs> A woman has over a man, and a man has over a woman, we we see things that are are very unfortunate. Uh, I have known women who caused their husbands to kill themselves, more than one case. And a lot of men have been driven to drink, and have left their wives, or divorced. And the same thing happens in the other case, too. Men have some power over their wives, in a sense. And I remember this one person that was lamenting about his father, and he couldn't understand why two or three of his father's wives had committed suicide. And a woman who knew the family, a relative of his wife, said they did, because he was a flagrant womanizer. And these women were so shattered by the fact that he was unfaithful to them after vowing be faithful to them, that it affected them so greatly that they killed themselves. And uh, this is very sad when you think of how a person can influence another one that way of the opposite sex. One thing that troubles me in our time is even having presidents who are such terrible people as far as their dealings with their wife. And... I have felt great sympathy towards some of the president's wives like Jackie Kennedy Lady Bird Johnson and Hillary Clinton all of them had to live with the known fact that their husbands were openly (coughs) unfaithful to them Uh, President Johnson even flirted and uh, took women publicly in front of other people he was so brash and uh, it, it hurt his wife so much And I remember a time when Barbara Walters was interviewing her. And uh, she she tried to be sympathetic first, so that she was sympathetic. And uh, she asked Lady Bird about the fact that her husband was unfaithful. And, uh, of course, Lady Bird broke. And it made a good story, a good interview. And she cried a bit. And her response was, well, he loved me more than the others. (laughs) what a pity to say something like that knowing that your husband openly, publicly had other women in front of the whole country and I thought to myself you know, in our country there are other men that are more worthy and should be president rather than these men who are such a terrible example to other men and to women if you read... Proverbs eight. You'll notice that theme is wisdom, but uh, something you may not have noticed is that when it speaks of wisdom, it refers to it as a her. And a lot of wise are very wise. And I don't know how many times in my life I've heard a man say, "Oh, I wish i had listened to my wife." And the example that really stands out in my mind is, is the case of our third son, Dave's wife. Folks, her father was a queer sailor and he married a Japanese woman. And this it's a Japanese woman who's from Hiroshima and was there when the atomic bomb exploded, cannot speak good English. She cannot drive, but she has a very shrewd business sense. And to enhance their retirement, they were buying properties. And she wanted him to buy this 15 acres in Silverdale. And typically, like a lot of men, he paid no attention. Well, guess what sits on that 15 acres? A huge mall. And if he had bought that 15 acres, he probably would have realized millions of dollars and so he said, like so many men, Oh, I wish I had listened to my wife. <laughs> in connection with submission, you think of your own family. And I remember my mother was submissive to my father. And in that period, the 1930s and 1940s, it seemed uh, among my folks' friends and relatives that virtually all men were... Or living with women that were typically submissive it just seemed that it was understood but as we proceeded into the next generation everything changed and uh, you started seeing a lot of rebellion and part of it was the influence of the liberation movement but there were other factors too and uh, I remember my brother's case and uh, he married a local girl who went to a village mission church. But she was dominant. And my brother was very close to my mother and they lived close to one another in the same neighborhood in Tacoma. And this was the same neighborhood where Ilona lived. I think some of you will remember the German lady that wrote the book Ilona. And uh, she just lived a few blocks from my brother and from my mother. And my brother would go over to visit my mother And he'd sooner get there than the phone would ring, and his wife would insist he'd come back home. And my mother was very disturbed by this because she was so keen about my brother. Uh, During his last years in high school, he used to go bowling together and movies together because my dad worked night shift. And she was so troubled by this and the attitude of his wife. She said to my brother, well, just who wears the pants in your family? And without a moment of hesitation, my brother said, Joanne, of course. <laughs> and this didn't help the situation. Well, sadly, Joanne died of cancer in 1976. And my brother married another woman who claimed to be a Christian. And Jim was very disturbed by her attitude. And one time he accused her of not being submissive. So and she turned to my brother and she said, Dear... I'm submissive, aren't I? And my brother frankly said, you talk submission, but you don't live it. (laughs) This is some of the family secrets. (laughs) 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 When it comes to submission, it's it's a matter basically of a good attitude, and that's the kind of thing that we are looking at here. And in that respect, again, when I was saved in 1950, we were associated with a missionary organization that operated out of Texas into Mexico. And over the years, I got to meet many of the fine people that were in that organization. And the distinctive thing about it was that the same family, a clan, has been there in Mexico, operating out of Texas into Mexico, since 1946. And some of these women are remarkable. And uh, one of them is the wife of the current director. And she writes monthly in connection with our support. And she always writes a note. And and the note is is so pleasant. And uh, it reflects the attitude of a very godly woman, a a real helpmate to her husband. And uh, she's so polite and so thoughtful and it just impresses you greatly. One of her predecessors was a mestizo. That is a woman that is part Spanish or Mexican and uh, part otherwise. And a lot of them live in Texas, and they call themselves Texans rather than mestizos. And uh, we had one who worked in the office, and her name was Mari, And, and she was so godly. that it it couldn't help but impress you. And as a single woman, she was determined to marry a man of God and be his helper. And back in the 1940s, there was a Mexican that was a worker in the organization named Cano, And uh, he was very zealous, and he worked with the founder of the organization. And he had a son, Daniel, Daniel, Daniel Cano. And and he was very zealous, worked on the streets, evangelizing, and very determined. And she married him. And I thought, what a wonderful thing, Danielle and Mari working together. And her spirit was so sweet that uh, when she would write our Tacoma Church in connection with the offerings we sent, the note was, was so wonderful that I would read it to the congregation it was like reading Ephesians 1 because of her godliness and her spirit. And it just affected you so greatly. As a background for what we're talking about here, let's look first of all at the beginning of this. And this is Genesis chapter 3. Let's go there together, please. What we're looking at is verse 16. And these are the things that befall Eve because of what she has done in the Garden of Eden. God says to her, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And that really is the beginning. And as we see, it was established by God. Another aspect of our background here, another facet, is the book of Esther. And if you look at Esther chapter 1, we notice first of all in that chapter that King Ahasuerus In verse 10, on the seventh day of his great feast and celebration, when his heart was merry, he commanded some of his staff to summon his wife, Queen Vashti. And in verse 11, we're told that he was to bring Queen Vashti before the king, wearing her royal crown, in order to show her beauty to the people and the officials. For she was beautiful to behold. But Queen Bashi refused to come at the king's commandment. Going on in the chapter, we find that there's great consternation because of this, and a strong reaction. And in verse 16, we, we see some of the things that happen as a result of this. And one of his advisors in verse 16 Points out that Queen Vashi not only wronged the king, but also all the princes and all the people who are in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus. And this is what really worries him. For so the king's behavior will become known to all women, so that they will despise their husbands in their eyes when they report King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashi to be brought in before him, but she did not come. And in the next verse, what they say is that when people hear, or women hear, of the behavior of the queen, thus there will be excessive contempt and wrath, speaking of the attitude of women toward their men. And here again we have a case where there is great concern because of the act of a woman and what she did in connection with the summons of her husband and her refusal to submit to him—it reminds me again of what I said about this friend. That it, even though she is such a lovely woman, I preferred that she leave so that she not be a bad example for the girls in our church. And we had an afternoon prayer meeting on Sunday, and. One of the things we used to do was pray for the kids in our congregation who were in the local high school because of all the worldly influences and these things that were affecting girls or could affect girls. And we would pray Sunday afternoon before the Sunday evening service for our girls. And this is one reason I did not want to see them affected by a woman like so much but had this bad attitude about being submissive. Well, you look at Proverbs twelve four, and we're going to see something more about the attitude of women, and at the same time, we want to think about the attitude of men. In this case, in verse four of chapter twelve, it says, "An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who causes shame." It's like rottenness in his bones. And we'll think also about the fact that this particular book of the Bible, Proverbs, ends with a superwoman. In chapter 31, we have this woman of God that is featured there. And I say she's a superwoman because of all the marvelous things she's able to accomplish. And it would be a challenge to imitate her, really. I don't think we should expect our woman to be quite like the woman in 31. She is such an ideal woman. As far as submission and its effect upon women, uh, we're going to point out something else today, that submission is at all levels. And I I want to look at briefly six different areas where we might consider (coughs) submission. Number one, we are to submit to God. And we are told this, explicitly in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 7. Submit to God. In the second case, we know, especially from reading the book of John, that Jesus submitted himself to the Father. And of course, it follows that we submit ourselves to Jesus. Number three, in 1 Peter 5.5, it speaks of the elders and how young people, those growing up and maturing, should consider the elders of the church and how they should submit to them. And in that connection, it also says in Hebrews, the last chapter, chapter 13, verse 17, that we should submit to our leaders. Number four, it speaks of ministry workers in 1 Corinthians sixteen sixteen, and it says of these ministry workers, people that are active in spreading the faith, that we should submit to them and regard them highly, and help them in our attitude toward them. Number five, and I remember Gerald Walton bringing this up in connection with his wife's submission and the fact that in a sense we have to submit to our wives and one thing that shows us that is number 5 submitting to one another and again this is found in 1 Peter five five, the last part of the verse if you'd like to look at it speaks of submitting to one another and we are also reminded of that in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 already in the case of number 6 submitting we have found in the last chapter First Peter 2 verse 13 that we should submit to the authorities and Romans also stresses this too and this is important It's really a good testimony and uh, it, it affects me badly when people of God get tickets and uh, some people drive like King Jehu furiously and they end up causing us shame And uh, I I was particularly affected one time when a missionary I knew was stopped by a policeman and he said, Oh, I was just praising the Lord, officer, and didn't notice how fast I was going. And I thought, what was that policeman thinking about that? Was he positively affected by this missionary that said, Oh, officer, I was just praising the Lord and didn't notice how fast I was going. And uh, unfortunately... Another missionary got stopped, and uh, he said, I was going too slow. He was able to catch me. And I thought, what effect did that have on a policeman to perhaps realize, you notice that Bible on his seat? And we just have to be so careful about these things because you have very few ways of testifying or witnessing publicly. And one of the best ways to do it is to be submissive to the authority and to obey the laws that are meant for our good. And also we are told to pray for those who are over us. And in Romans it even says they're ministers. They're signed by God for our good. And uh, the other day we were at our luncheon with our Tacoma church group disbanded in 1984, but we still get together for lunches and weddings and clams and all kinds of things. And the subject of Obama came up. And uh, I was call him President Obama. And as people were venting their feelings about him, I said pray for him. And sometimes when I start the day, I try to include the president and pray for him because we are commanded to pray for our president. Looking at verse 2, and going back to Jim Tracy for a minute, he represents something that I want to deal with here. And that's the fact that he got mad when he noticed that his wife was in love with Jesus. And in witnessing, one of the things you want to welcome is anger. Because when people get mad, they often do like Jim Tracy. When they simmer down, they start thinking about themselves and their future and what's going to happen to them. And a lot of people who initially react with anger when you witness to them end up getting saved because it arouses their emotions and they start thinking about these serious things. They drown this all out by listening to music all the time and occupying themselves another way. But when someone speaks to them about their soul, suddenly their reaction is different and this emotion bursts forth anger and be glad because once they stop being angry, they start thinking seriously about themselves. The tragic thing that I'm seeing over and over these days in witnessing is that there's no reaction. I've tried all kinds of things, speaking to people I meet on the beach and elsewhere, to get them on the subject of their soul and eternity. And uh, I'll say things like Pat's pooch, Patty's pooch. It's a Christian dog because he's so loving and lovable. No reaction. And I'll talk about other things related to the soul. And I'll give my testimony. No reaction. No questions. And what a contrast that is when I first got it saved. I remember that first year selflessly talking to people where I work. And uh, they'd get mad, or they'd ask questions, or they defend themselves. But now it seems that just about everyone you talk to does not react. And that means that it's not a concern to them. Suddenly they meet someone who represents the Gospel, who has the good news of salvation and they're not interested and part of it is what they've seen on TV and what they've seen in the movies and the attitudes that have developed in this generation in the last few decades and what a terrible thing it is to see people respond in that way in verse 3 notice that it's says, merely, and in this case, it is not an attack on a person that appears nicely, who takes care of themselves, who is very presentable, and uh, sometimes now you can compliment a woman on her appearance without the fear of being sexually harassing her. That also has passed, for which we can be thankful and uh, I've always appreciated a woman who dressed nicely I remember even in high school and even junior high school the girls that were such careful girls about their hair and their appearance and it was pleasant to see and uh, here's a revelation for you women if you didn't know this back in the late 1940s when young men saw women who were not careful about their weight who are sloppy, who are flirtatious, they referred to them as pigs. Did you know that? Young men who are displaced with the appearance of young women referred to them as pigs. <laughs> Notice in verse four that it says, Rather, the hidden person of the heart and When you have someone that has the kind of spirit that we're talking about here, uh, you will notice that this gentle and quiet person, who is precious in God's sight, and should be in ours too, is very evident. All these things are evident in her way. And I think of Old Testament women that reflected this. There was Ruth, a tremendous example. There was Hannah. There was Esther, and they had these characteristics that we find in verse 5. One, they trusted in God. Two, they submitted to their husbands. And I referred to these women that we knew in the mission field, in the work down in Mexico. And it's my conviction that because of these wives and their tremendous attitudes and these workers, and these very fine Mexicans, and some of the finest women I have ever known in my life were Mexican women. And because of that, something happened with this mission organization. It started in 1946 when the founder got a vision for Mexico and Latin America at Camp Sambica on Lake Sammamish. And through the years, this organization has now started about 50 churches in Mexico and this is a small group of people and wisely they have set up these churches so that they have their own Mexican local pastor and their own funding system in case there's a revolution or reaction against gringos in Mexico and Americans are no longer welcome or allowed into the country these churches function in such a way that they will continue if something like that happens in verse 6 it speaks of Sarah and uh, the things that Abraham did that are very troubling for a man to see the fact that he urged her to be his sister in order to save his own life and this happens in Genesis and chapter 12 in Egypt and then it happens in the Philistine area in Gerar later on, he did it twice And then you have Lot who offers his two daughters and and that has a bad effect on a man or should have a bad effect on a man. But it says here in verse 6 that Sarah called her husband Lord. And I remember one time listening to Tony Evans who was the funniest preacher ever on radio. And he was preaching on this passage and he said, Ladies, Turn to your husband and call him Lord. In this chapter, or in this part, it talks about being sons of Abraham, or it refers to Abraham, and uh, Abraham had sons, and it speaks here of being daughters of Abraham, if you are like her, and submissive in that respect the last thing we're dealing with is the last verse and this talks about understanding which is a real challenge and so many women have said my husband doesn't understand me and so many women have have said I don't understand my wife so I don't understand women And, and it's such a challenge and you have to realize that despite during the period of liberation where women tried to be like men that they're not like men and men are not like women not naturally. And they approach things differently, and this is why I tried to emphasize the wisdom that often appears in a a woman, and her perception, and how it can help a man if he listens. (laughs) And I remember being in a situation one time where a man who was very close to his wife, they were a wonderful couple, but uh, she, she, who was normally quiet and peaceful and had this gentle spirit, got very emotional, and I think it was in regard to her son. And he said sympathetically and understandably, well, she's a woman. (laughs) She's a woman. A woman is entitled to do that now and then and act that way. And it seemed like he understood. And I'll never forget that night when our telephone rang about 2 o'clock in the morning. And it was a fellow that we worked with in our Tacoma church. He was having trouble with his girlfriend. And he kept saying, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. <laughs> in the last part, it tells us that we should be heirs together now. And that now is stress because Jesus said that in heaven we will not be married. We will be like angels in heaven. And it says be heirs together now of the grace of life, sharing together that prayers or prayer may be unhindered. And in verse 12 of this very chapter 3, you'll notice it says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. And let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can come boldly to your throne of grace. We thank you that your ears are open to us and that we are welcomed and that we can come with anything that is upon our heart. We thank you that once more we can open your word and enjoy these things that are before us and may we be moved to practice them and be submissive in all respects. Amen. Thank you, Don. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.